have a very evident theme in our readings today, in our second reading from St. Paul and in our Gospel, is the urgency of the Gospel, the centrality that the Gospel requires its preachers and its listeners to have. St. Paul says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. An obligation has been laid upon me. He says, I have become all things to all men, so that by all means I may save some of them. And we have this passage here in our gospel text from Mark where our Lord, after laboring all night, if you notice, the sun goes down, and it was, a, it was a Sabbath, and the Jews did not work, they did not labor on the Sabbath. So after the sun goes down and the Sabbath is done, they carry all of these sick people, which they would not have been able to do on the Sabbath day. So they carry all these sick people to Jesus, and he heals and he casts out uh, devils, and the work, I can only imagine, is very exhausting. But nonetheless, he wakes up early, even before the sun rises, and he goes and he prays. And he had the salvation of souls, just like St. Paul, and, and even more so, he had the salvation of souls buried deep in his heart, and that was the subject of his prayer. And so his apostles come looking for him, and they say, well, everybody's looking for you. He says, let's go on to the next village so that I may preach there. It is for this reason that I have come. And we see the absolute centrality of preaching the gospel to our Lord. And so it is for us. The gospel, just as it was for St. Paul, just as it was for our Lord in the days of his earthly ministry, the gospel needs to be center for us. It needs to be central in everything that we do. It's got to be the heart of our lives. It can't be ancillary. It can't be on the side. It can't be something we do on the weekends. It's got to consume us. It's got to be the most important and foundational and fundamental thing for us. And when we, sometimes when we consider the demands that the gospel makes on us, it can be a little bit frightening. Um, but uh, there, is, there is no fear here because the gospel, as St. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. So the gospel must be the center of our lives, but it is the power of God. It has the ability to make itself the center of our lives. It is a consuming fire that is jealous and will not share our hearts with anything else. It has the power to burn up anything that's incompatible with it, that competes with it. And as it makes its way to the center of our life, it turns us into itself and we become a living gospel. We become the message 
of the good news of Jesus Christ so that people can look to us and they can see it in our lives. And I'll share with you, we just celebrated a few days ago on February 5th, the memorial of St. Paul Miki, who was uh, one of the earliest Japanese saints, Japanese martyrs in the church's uh, history. And uh, it's a very remarkable life. I'm going to share with you a passage from his story because he lives out the centrality of the gospel that we see here in our passages today from the scriptures. we got to go back to the 16th century. And it was about 1550 or so when St. Francis Xavier, who was another saint who had the gospel in the center of his life, and he was a great evangelist. Some people are of the opinion that uh, next to St. Paul, St. Francis Xavier was the greatest evangelist ever. Well, he evangelized all of India, and then he went into China, and then he eventually went into Japan. And he got there about 1550, and within a generation, only 30 years later, uh, around 200,000 Japanese were baptized believers as a result of the labors of St. Francis Xavier and the Jesuits. Well, St. Paul Miki was a Japanese, he was native, he was born into a Japanese family. His family converted when he was a young man, and he was educated by the Jesuits, and he was in training to become a Jesuit around 1580-1590 or so, when the emperor of Japan had a, a change of heart vis-a-vis -vis the church, and he decided to push it out of the country. And so he started staging persecutions against the Christians, against foreign Christians and against the native Japanese Christians that were there. And so he took at one point, there was a city right in the heartland of Japan, and he took 25 Christians, St. Paul, he was one of them, and he cut off their left ear. And he paraded them around town to make an example of them and to try to intimidate the people. And actually, it kind of backfired on, on him. It worked opposite because when the natives saw the bearing and the dignity with which uh, the Christians bore themselves, even under such humiliating and painful circumstances, it was very uh, convicting for them. They were living gospels, and they converted many people in that town. Afterwards, hard to believe, but true, they were forced to march 600 miles 600 miles first march to Nagasaki and uh, the, on a hill that's known today as the Holy Hill you can go there as a pilgrimage site they were crucified 25 of these Christians St. Paul Mickey being one of them so imagine in your mind 25 Christians hanging from 25 crosses and this is the section of his life I'll read to you the crosses were set in place Father Pasio and Father Rodriguez took turns encouraging the victims. Their steadfast behavior was wonderful to see. The Father Bursar stood motionless, his eyes turned up to heaven. Brother Martin gave thanks to God's goodness by singing psalms. Again and again he repeated, Into your hands, Lords, I entrust my life. Brother Francis Bronco also thanked God in a loud voice. Brother Gonzalo, in a very loud voice, kept saying the Our Father and Hail Mary. Our, Paul, our brother, Paul Miki, saw himself standing now in the noblest pulpit he had ever filled. To his congregation, he began by proclaiming himself a Japanese and a Jesuit. He was dying for the gospel he preached. 
He gave thanks to God for this wonderful blessing. And he ended his sermon with these words. As I come to this supreme moment of my life, I am sure none of you would suppose I want to deceive you. And so I tell you plainly, there is no way to be saved except the Christian way. My religion teaches me to pardon my enemies and all who have offended me. And I do gladly pardon the emperor and all who have sought my death. I beg them to seek baptism and to become Christians themselves. Then he looked at his comrades and began to encourage them in their final struggle. Joy glowed in all their faces, and in Lewis's most of all. When a Christian in the crowd cried out to him that he would soon be in heaven, his hands, his whole body strained upward toward heaven with such joy that every eye was fixed on him. Anthony, hanging at Lewis's side, looked toward heaven and called upon the holy names, Jesus, Mary. He began to sing a psalm, Praise the Lord, you children. Others kept repeating, Jesus, Mary. Their faces were serene. Some of them even took to urging the people standing by to live worthy Christian lives. In these and other ways, they showed their readiness to die. Then, according to Japanese custom, the four executioners began to unsheathe their spears. At this dreadful sight, all the Christians cried out, Jesus, Mary. And the storm of anguished weeping then rose to batter the very skies. The executioners killed them one by one. One thrust of a spear, then a second blow. It was over in a very short time. And so we see here St. Paul Mickey and his other comrades, this particular guy, Anthony, who's street reaching towards heaven as he hangs upon the cross with this overflowing joy and hope of salvation. And the gospel evidently is so central to these people's lives. It had become everything to them such that they were willing to die, to give up their life for it. And that's the way it's got to be for each one of us as baptized Christians. We have to make the gospel so central to our life that we'd be willing to give up our lives for it. And it is the power of God. It has the power to make itself that way for us. And nothing, if we let it have its way in our hearts, can compete to it. No sin, no fear, no suffering, no self-pity, no pet addiction, no illicit pleasure. Nothing can compete with it. It has the power to consume us fully and totally. I'm reminded of a saying that the ancient uh, fathers would use in regard to the Eucharist. They said, when, they, when you receive the Eucharist, most, see, most food, natural food, when you eat it, you assimilate that food to yourself. You assimilate it to your body. You appropriate it to yourself and it becomes part of you. But the Eucharist is the opposite. When we receive the Eucharist, it assimilates us 
And we then are appropriated and become part of the body of Christ that we receive. And so also, this is the gospel. The gospel is not part of our life. The gospel is not ancillary. It can't be something we do on the weekends. The gospel, when we let it have its way in us, it consumes us. It assimilates us. It appropriates us to itself. And it works its way right to the center. And it gives us joy. And it gives us hope. And it gives us freedom from sin. And it becomes everything for us.